Welcome back to another Monday morning where your episode will frequently be interrupted by our dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't help it. Sorry, guys. It took us like an hour to get this episode started. We get the, the, we get the dogs to calm down. Yeah. Hello, lazy perfectionists. And I can hear you asking, Rachel, can you really be both? And yes, you can, because perfectionism is a form of procrastination. Stop lying to yourselves. Yeah, no, preach that. If I could snap on here without killing your eardrums, I would be snapping. You can, you just kind of got to... Because I concur, babe. I concur. The dogs are awake. So yeah, the dogs are going to be loud, but... You're going to have to deal with it because we've been dealing with it all day trying to get them to calm down to record. Yeah. So instead, we're just going to move straight along to the apologies. Okay. Um, I'm good with that. You shouldn't be Mm. because there was a lot. I'm humble enough to accept you apologizing on my behalf. Okay. First of all, I am very sorry that Maddie called out all the Scorpios in the last episode description, even though A, that had nothing to do with the episode and B... Astrology is pseudoscience at best. Oops, I said it and I meant it. LOL. It's true. Sorry. Can I just explain myself? Okay. I am also very, very, very sorry for Maddie's misinterpretation of religion in which she said that you should just go murder a bunch of people and then you can just convert and everything will be fine and all of your horrible wrongdoings will just go away. Eh, And then you can be a saint. More or less. Well, tomato, tomato, (laughs) I guess at this point. (laughs) oh no oh no yikes oh no you've done horrible things for organized religion tonight and and, am i the sole one to blame for the failures of organized religion is that what i've just heard yes i am solely responsible for organized religion being that low-key the worst that is my truth okay now i'm just gonna say up front i i i wasn't putting a song reference in this so your song reference is i don't know um the entire Inception soundtrack, okay, something like that. Okay. I just there was no way I was gonna naturally put a okay. song reference in this. It just doesn't fit. Because wait, are we done with apologies? Yeah, who's those two? Oh, I thought you said there were a lot. I was no. expecting more. No, 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 a lot in like in quality of what I had to apologize for. Got not, it. Not quantity. Okay. I would like to say briefly the Scorpio okay. thing. Um, I actually googled which zodiac sign is known for being like the most vengeful. And Scorpio is consistent. I have no idea, but I just thought it was funny. Thought we'd get it um, nice yeah, laugh. Actually, it's, um, if I remember correctly, the most represented zodiac sign when it comes to serial killers. Is Scorpio? Mm-hmm. No. I believe so. I That's, believe so. Now, no shame to Scorpios. I, I uh, genuinely, lots of shame to, genuinely to Scorpios. have no idea what any of it means. I don't either, but I'm just shaming them. <laughs> Take it or leave it. You and Olga, <laughs> two of a kind. So anyways, okay, Inception soundtrack. Yeah. Is what we're channeling. Um, you that know, doesn't really count. Um, so you still have time to worry no, one in. No, I don't. If you asked me to name any song right now, not even not even in reference to this, you asked me to name any song, I couldn't. I don't do specifics. Three thousand dollars, I will be able to come up with a song. I'm reference. not betting you three thousand dollars. I mean, if I wanted to put a stupid song reference in, I could say i don't know like up all night by one direction because this topic is going to leave you up all night. Boom, I could do something like that, but I, it just done. it just felt like a cheap. I don't know. 
I don't. It didn't fit well. No accounts. Okay. Well, I. Well I didn't, done. I didn't, no dollar I didn't in the like, jar for I didn't you. like doing it. But we are we are going to do something a little bit different this week. Oh, so my head's going to hurt after this. Yes, um, Maddie has just come home from a long day of work, and I'm about to just fry her brain just just for funsies. Normally, you know, one of us will tell a story, explain something cool, whatever. Well, the other person just kind of sits there and listens and reacts and doesn't really do any work. Um, but that's not what's going to happen today. Because today I'm going to tell you about the Mary's Room thought experiment. And then Maddie and I are going to kind of talk about it a little bit and then discuss it and I'll go into my opinion and all that. Um, and I'll give some deeper explanation of it. What? Question. No. Um, are there still other people that are available to be co-hosting this? Uh, can I phone a friend? <laughs> Anybody want to help me out tonight? Oh, no. Maddie, Maddie. No, I'm just kidding. I'm ready for it. My dear, I, I have had many a philosophical discussion with you. I know you are prepared for this. And bring it on. Yeah, but I did, um, when I started researching for this, I started with the primary source and I said, why did I do this to myself? Yikes. I have done enough dense philosophical readings for one lifetime and then by the end i was like staring off into space just thinking about one like just just one little word one little sentence would just send me spiraling in a good way though because i was just Mm. so into it that i forget i just would kind of forget that the world existed for a little bit and just think and then i remembered why i enjoyed dense philosophical writings all right let's do it but yeah mary's room just go So Mary's room goes like this. Mary is a neuroscientist. Who had a little lamb? No. Um, she's, she, she's a neuroscientist. All right. And probably one that could be described as genius. Ah. Mary has lived her entire life in a single room. Yikes. This room is entirely black and white. Everything she owns is black and white. And the screens that she owns, they only display black and white images. And for the purpose of the experiment, assume that she has not seen mm-hmm. it color on herself, sure. that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so essentially, she has just never seen any color in her entire life. However, color vision is her area of expertise academically. Hmm. She knows everything that there is to know about it, the biology and the physics of it, how rods and cones and optic nerves mm-hmm. interact and how they function and what, what physical properties and wavelengths and all of that make up colors, etc. She knows everything that there is to know about color vision. Okay. She has a complete knowledge of it, like a sponge. Like she never forgot any mm-hmm. of it, all of that complete mm-hmm. knowledge. But what if one day her computer screen malfunctions and it shows her a color image? Has she learned anything new? I'll give you a second to think on it. <laughs> Maddie, Maddie's not happy with me. I'll, I'll tell you a little more while I think about it. Yes. Okay. So the experiment was originally put forth by philosopher Frank Jackson in 1982. Frank. Yes, Frank. In his article, Epiphenomenal Qualia, um, in which he says, quote, this is how he explains thought experiment. I would like everyone to just pause, though. I am the face that I'm making thus far in this episode is nothing but focus. Like I, my, I can feel congratulations. my congratulations. You have um, being like, like, I'm sorry. I'm just, like so intensely I'm focused. I just my phone was going off and I pulled it out to like I'm the, I'm in the opposite headspace. I pulled it out to turn off my phone so that it wouldn't be um, you know making noises while we were on and sure. 
my parents said, sent a picture of them out to dinner. And my brother responded, Howie Mandel, is that you? In reference to my dad. Oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> anyway, okay, airplane mode, here we go. So, yes, sorry for that interruption, but, well, the dogs are up, and you're just going to have that in the background. Hopefully it's not too loud. They're pretty far from the mics. So, in his article, Epiphenomenal Qualia, oh, you're deep focus, okay. Mm-hmm. This is how he describes it. Quote, Mary is a brilliant scientist who is, for whatever reason, forced to investigate the world from a black and white room via a black and white television monitor. She specializes in the neurophysiology of vision and acquires, let us suppose, all the physical information there is to obtain about what goes on when we see ripe tomatoes, or the sky, and use terms like red, blue, and so on. She discovers, for example, just which wavelength combinations from the sky stimulate the retina, and exactly how this produces via the central nervous system the contraction of the vocal cords and the expulsion of air from the lungs that result in the uttering of this sentence, the sky is blue. What will happen when Mary is released from her black and white room or is given a color television monitor? Will she learn anything or not? Yes. So, okay. I was going to say, before I explain the theories and the philosophical schools of thought and all that and the application of it, what what do you think? Yes. Why? Continue. What I would say is that she, while she might know color, I wager, and this is how I've always envisioned the concept of color, we all see it a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's something like we can know something, but to see it or experience it, that adds a layer of knowledge that might not be like crazy in depth like i i don't think that it was like necessarily this radical like everything i thought i knew about red is wrong but i will say i think that it adds a layer of knowledge to what you know in your brain to experience something whether that's color or a different culture or i don't know a a music something like that that's my theory so Consider the possibility, though, that she understands all of those subtle differences that everyone perceives. Okay, then no, she didn't learn anything, and this is dumb. But she has never actually seen it. She understands it, but she's never actually seen it. I don't understand then why. Then I don't understand how this can be a thought process. If she already understands it, I don't understand. So the question is, basically, and we'll get into this a little more later. Um, but but the question is. Can we learn everything there is to learn without actually experiencing something? No. So that's what this, I was saying. She doesn't know it all, so that when she experienced it, she learned something new. But then you, just, didn't you also just said knew. the opposite. No, that's what I said the whole time. Oh, I thought you, were, I thought you switched your stance when I said that consider she knows. Well, yeah, because you, you, so if you're saying that she already knows everything that there is to know, then sure, okay, then if she already knows it all, then great. But, if, but I don't think that you can know it all without experiencing something. And that is an important distinction. Which is why I said yes, OG, in the OG. So this thought experiment is meant to represent something called the knowledge argument. Okay. Basically, the main point of the knowledge argument is that the mental states of a person cannot be truly known and understood without personal conscious experience. Mm-hmm. They can't be described with facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we can hypothetically know everything there is to know about someone, Mm -hmm. their DNA, their biological processes, the chemicals in the brain, et cetera, and how all of that interacts. But we can't know what it it feels like Mm -hmm. to live 
as that person. Yeah, agreed. We can't fully explain or know what it means in a broader sense to, you know, feel itchy or Mm -hmm. bored um, without ever experiencing those states. So essentially, the implication here is that if Mary knew everything, but still learned something new about color vision when she first saw color, then not everything can be explained by facts and physical knowledge. Yeah. That is the basis of the knowledge argument. And obviously it goes, it it applies to everything beyond Mm -hmm. color, color vision. Um, But it begs the question of can knowledge of a feeling actually be known if you do not personally experience the feeling, which is kind of what you were getting at about Mm -hmm. like what it feels like to be a person. So the knowledge argument um, attempts to disprove the theory of physicalism, which physicalism is a philosophical doctrine um, that essentially asserts that the real world consists only of the physical world, that everything that is real can be explained, mm-hmm. um, can be explained by and is confined to the physical world. Got it. Under the theory of physicality, even conscious experience and mental states have physical explanations. Mm-hmm. But the knowledge argument, as I have said, points out the difference between knowing and experiencing, and that in order to truly know, one must experience, Mm -hmm. necessarily one must experience. If physicalism couldn't fully explain color vision, um, then maybe it also can't explain other conscious experiences. And the difference pointed out here then um, is between the explainable physical knowledge and truly complete knowledge and Mm -hmm. that those are necessarily two distinct and separate things the intangible and indescribable qualities of these experiences that take you from physical knowledge Mm -hmm. to complete knowledge are known as qualia qualia and that is part of what the title of his article was so this is what um frank jackson said in his article pertaining to um kind of like his like a short version of his answer Mm -hmm to the question quote it seems just obvious that she will learn something about the world and our visual and our visual experience of it but then it is inescapable that her previous knowledge was incomplete but she had all the physical information ergo there is more to have than that and physicalism is false so stanford well there you go sums it up in a very um like cartesian Mm -hmm. way quote the argument contained in this passage may be put like this one Mary has all the physical information concerning human color vision before her release. And two, but there is some information. Oh, I just had like a stroke. Yikes. Two, but there is some information about human color vision that she does not have before her release. Therefore, three, not all information is physical information. Mm hmm. So in this thought experiment, color vision, like I said earlier, is meant to represent the whole of human consciousness, of conscious experience, and thus it begs the question, can science explain conscious experience? Mm -hmm. Like, at all? Yeah. Um, And now I am a very logical person, for the most part. I think that just about everything has a logical explanation, but sometimes the logical explanation sounds illogical. I'm always the person that's like, people are like having weird things happen, and then I'm like, Okay, here's 50 different logical explanations for it. Exactly. Don't go to Um, WebMD is what we're learning today. Yes, and uh, the noises you hear at night are not a ghost. Um, It's water going through your pipes. So some people say that, some people actually do say that she would have learned nothing new. Well, they're wrong. So here's here's my opinion on it. Um, 
I, I don't like to take a very hard and fast stance on philosophical arguments because they're I'm, I'm always changing them. But to me, I don't really think that these two things are mutually exclusive, per Agreed. se. Agreed. Um, so you have the two opposing sides. Science can explain everything, and science cannot explain everything. Um, I, I do recognize that I'm making some generalizations here, but I think that science can explain everything about temporal reality. But just because science can make sense of it, that doesn't mean that we can make sense of it. Fair. I have often said that absolute truth does exist, but that no human will ever perfectly understand it. Sure. And that's kind of where I'm at with this. So to me, I think there's a lot of knowledge that can only be obtained through qualia. Um, but if experiencing qualia, et cetera, happens in the temporal world, then it is part of temporal reality. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And as such, it can be defined or explained by science, but not the, but not by the human understanding of science. Sure. I vibe with that. But this is why Aristotle's my favorite philosopher of all time, because it should all, you should always be in the golden mean. There I'm it sorry. Is. It, there I, it is. I remember reading that and being like, this is now my life motto. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's freaking genius, and that's why he's superior to Plato. So, anyways. here we go. <laughs> no, but I we're mean, in the ancient philosophy beef right can now. Can I can I come in and please by all means? I would. I mean, yeah, I would agree that that's that is the logical and pardon me, but intelligent response is to recognize that it can't be one or the other. Right. Right. I think the that's... sheer fact that yikes the sheer fact that we could even like I think sci in order to understand that science can't necessarily tell us everything or that our understanding of science can tell us everything science would have to exist and it would have to be like legit mm -hmm. like there's a there's a there's a prerequisite that science is real yes. and like yes. can work mm -hmm. so clearly science can tell us some things right yes but there's a there's a next level reality like i think the other thing for me that this is kind of what i think about in all of this is that there's just there's too many human experiences mm -hmm. and that to me is where the biggest divide is here it's less my reaction to this is less can science explain it or not it's more like i don't there's there's too many ways it it can and should be explained like color you know, there's a million different ways to experience red. Even if we both agree, like my shirt, blue, whatever. You're, I would still venture to say you're seeing my blue a little bit differently. You're understanding yes. my blue differently. Yes, definitely. So, but I don't think that's really the question. The question is like assuming we have unlimited brain capacity and mm -hmm. we could understand what everyone else sees. Like right now, the discussion that we're having is kind of based around the reality, not the hypothetical. So yeah. like the reality is that we can't know those things just because a brain will not hold on to that much information. Mm -hmm. But if we could have all of that information and in almost like a, a computer like brain, I mean, assuming not mm -hmm. like not like an actual computer, mm -hmm. but like assuming we could store information in our brains like a hard drive. Yeah. Back to what you were saying about Aristotle. I think the, 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 def the defining piece, the fundamental piece that kind of makes this for me not an Aristotelian view is that I don't look at this as the golden mean as like I'm in the middle. I look at it, at it kind of like I am completely on both ends simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? But I, I think the golden mean isn't perfectly in the middle. No, I mean, it's, it's perfect. It's the perfect balance between both. Yes. Which I think is what this is, is understanding the balance between it's not one or the other. Right. And that. Right. 
but I, I, I guess I'm just, I don't ever, I don't, I don't know if my brain, my brain isn't wired to think hypothetical. Like when I think about that, it's kind of like, I see that as a futile scientific question because it's, it's a, it's based on a prerequisite that's impossible. So it seems to me like, why would we even, like, what does that question do for us? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you can, or you, you can say that this is futile, but like most philosophy is, if you're looking at it through that perspective, through that lens, um, it's, we, there are some practical applications of this thought experiment that I, that'll kind of, we'll get to that mm-hmm. later. Um, but more than anything, it's just about understanding the human experience and understanding the limits mm-hmm. of human understanding, yeah. the limits of science, the power of our brains, that kind of thing. Yeah. And also just to get you to think and ask questions. This is a philosophical argument. We're here to ask questions. We're not here to get answers. Yeah. Really, like my understanding of it is that, like I said, it can be defined by science, but not by the human understanding of science. So science will never be complete because science seeks to understand truth about Mm -hmm. the physical world. Like that is Mm -hmm. the definition of science. So asking if science can, like asking if it is science that explains everything is kind of like asking whether truth can describe truth, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But where I stray from physicalism is not that I would define the human experience as fully observable or explainable by humans. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it, it can all be defined by science, but not by human understanding of science. Mm-hmm. So basically, like, big science, big C science could explain it all, but, like, little C science. C? Oh, God. <laughs> Science, everyone. <laughs> C-I-E. Big S science is like the objective science that could explain everything. And then right. little s science is like human science that is, is the all- human understanding of science. Got it. Right. I, yeah. 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 That's kind of that's kind of where I'm at um, with with that, because like I think what I was getting at is that just because something happens in a physical reality, and it is something that is physically happening, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can describe it physically. Yeah. There is a physical description of it, but not one that we can articulate. Yeah. As I've said that like eight times now, I just keep trying to get across more clearly. Um, I I do think that there is something about conscious experience um, or color, like like the the color vision Mm -hmm. example, um, that goes beyond facts and physical descriptions. Mm-hmm. So that is the, 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 the qualia. Um, it's almost to me like qualia are physical, but not in the sense that physicalism describes the word physical. Right. It's, it's almost like, like being a therapist. Like, okay. You can explain everything. You can know everything that is happening in a person's head, but you can't really know it all. Right. And, and there's an interesting idea that influenced Jackson. Um, called the knowledge intuition, which basically asserts that we have an intuition that no knowledge of physical facts can take the place of what it is like to experience those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that relates to my opinion in, in kind of a, a roundabout way. Yeah. Like if you combine the knowledge intuition with physicalism, that's, that's mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. I see that. Um, and it, it is, it is oxymoronic. Yeah. To believe both of those things simultaneously. But I think that most truths are. Um, like diametrically opposed opinions often work in tandem to explain truth. Right. Cause balance. Yeah. Yeah. Aristotle is a He's God. <laughs> okay. Maddie's got it bad for Aristotle. I really do, man. 
So awesome. I, <laughs> I do think that though, that, um, this perspective does kind of raise another important question. And that is the, the purpose of human language is to convey meaning, but human language is imperfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the question here is which do we fault for, for our incomplete knowledge, language or science? I'm not expecting an answer there. Okay. But just be, just because like we cannot possibly convey knowledge perfectly because human language is limited. So whose fault is that? Is that a problem with science or a problem with language or both or neither? Both. Just putting that out there. Probably. Yes. But taking it back to like the facts of this thought experiment, Frank Jackson actually changed his opinion on this like years later. So originally he said, yes, obviously you learned something new, which was mm -hmm. your initial reaction. And although I didn't present it this way, that was my initial reaction as well. It was like, yeah, no, duh. Like, of course yeah. you learned something different. Um, but later he said that even though she had never seen color before, when she did see it for the first time, there was a definable and, bi and biological process in her brain. And, and it wasn't just some cosmic unknowable qualia. Like there was a mental process that can be explained. But, but to me, I, I think, doesn't that prove that her knowledge was incomplete in the first place? What? What? If you're just going to talk about this being stupid. No, I'm not. I'm saying, okay, so the process in her brain mm -hmm. is not the same thing as the, as still describing the experience and like, yeah, so maybe like in a perfect world, if we were all computers that knew everything, we could describe exactly what she experienced in an objective reality. But all we can describe is still the fact that this is the process that went on in her brain. Mm -hmm. We still can't say what the experience was of seeing the color red. Like there's no way for her to perfectly describe her exact encounter with the color red what she right. saw, what she thought, what she did. So to me, that still is like, it's still feeling like, I don't know if, I guess maybe drawing, pulling at straws of like, I still don't think that that would overturn his original thought. You know what I'm saying? Ding, ding, ding. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm getting out of like, okay, yeah. So yeah, we can explain that there was a process that went on in her head, but that's still, that still doesn't prove physicalism. Right. Right. And I don't know that he was saying that it, that it proves physicalism, but mm -hmm. it, it was maybe not a 180, but, sure. you know, like a 160. He was backing up towards physicalism, but Quite wasn't all the way. Quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's. I mean, that's my yeah. understanding of it. Um, I didn't go too deep into his mm -hmm. <laughs> new opinion because mm -hmm. if you try to follow every time a philosopher changed their mind on something, yeah, you're no. spending your whole life on about one year of them thinking. So that is that – is, um, important. But I, I do think you're getting a little bit hung up on describing an experience. We're, we're, well, I'm using describing not in the sense of like writing it down like science, like being able to scientifically describe and state and like I use description just in the sense of like the physical or computer way of typing up and generating the exact process. Yeah. Not in the yeah. sense of saying the color red made me feel happy or not like those kinds well, of descriptive I terms. I think, yes, but the, I think descriptive encompasses all of that. Yeah. With the scientific and the emotional and all of that, it's not one or the other. Yeah. It's being able to describe. And this is, again, mm -hmm. where 
in this thought experiment and in analyzing this thought experiment that language is failing us. Right. Because there's, I, if I just say describing it in, in a way that encompasses all of those things, I don't think that's really conveying what I'm meaning. Right. But then maybe there is a way to do it and I just have found it. But I, I, I think that is a big part of where people get hung up on this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that in him changing his opinion on this, it, it does prove that her knowledge was incomplete in the first place. And that is the other big question of this thought experiment is can we ever have, I mean, maybe it's just a different way of wording it, can we have complete knowledge? That or, can think, or what is complete knowledge? Does complete knowledge necessarily include experiencing the thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm thinking like even if it is describable, she did learn something new if we're looking mm-hmm. at it through the lens of his new opinion. Even if it is describable, she did learn something new. And it's kind of contradictory, but I agree. I think I agree with his updated statement more than his first one. Mm-hmm. His first one being like, yeah, she learned something new. His second one being like, well, it was describable and biological. And I do lean more toward the second one. Yeah. Of, I mean, both. Yeah, both. But I do lean toward, more toward the second one. If literally everything that we experience, even if it is, it feels very personal. It feels mm-hmm. very, you know, mm-hmm. psychological, metaphysical, metaphysical, whatever it may be. It has a reason. It has an explanation, even when it feels like it doesn't. People will often be like, why sure. do I do this? Why do I do that? I'm like, okay, here's literally a very simple explanation for why you do that or sure. why you think that. It, that's just part of biology. Yeah. Um, but not a well-known part of biology. Yeah hypothetically, maybe she wouldn't learn anything. Realistically, she would. I don't know if I agree with hypothetical at all. I don't agree with hypothetical, hypothetically at all. Hypothetical? Hypothetically, that she didn't learn anything. Hypothetically meaning, if we could have a complete understanding, but I don't think that in this actual situation that he has set up, I don't think she actually does have a complete knowledge. Hypothetically, with what I think he's trying to get at, maybe she could. But realistically no way yeah and now like i said earlier this is a philosophical thought experiment mm-hmm. so we're we are here to ask questions right not give answers so there's not really going to be any closure with this episode sorry yeah. i just no. i just needed to have some high level thinking to feel something but <laughs> what i don't know if i should be happy or depressed for you <laughs> good you see me getting like a little bit manic here this is a good sign okay this this means i am finally feeling like i have enough mental stimulation in my life it, this is a hard place to get to so really there's no real answer whether or not she learns anything right. it's it's just to have a better to be more aware of the human experience and the limitations of science and the limitation of the human brain and the limitation of the human human experience and all of that thing all of those things um but before we finish up there is one interesting implication um or like real life application to this thought experiment oh, i think i know what it is what which came first the chicken or the egg absolutely not it's not that dang it was that an actual guess or no, is that a joke that guess? was a joke okay i was a little concerned it was a joke a little concerned the uh the application for this is artificial intelligence okay and this is where this thought experiment really actually becomes important so ted ed did a video mm-hmm on Mary's room and that was the first time I heard about it and no matter how much research I did no matter how much I tried to reword this I couldn't do it better than them so I'm just gonna yeah. read you a little bit from their script because mwah, it's if it ain't broke that whole video it just made my brain it just like scratched an itch in my brain put it in the because sources. oh I, I will watch it. because it just summed everything up so completely but so clearly and so concisely in like five minutes yeah 
but everything was there. It was it was just like perfectly written. Good job, whoever wrote that. I I am very impressed by you. So so they said, quote, that this is talking about uh, people who are in like philosophers thinking about mm-hmm. artificial intelligence. Got it. Quote, theorize that recreating a physical state won't necessarily recreate a corresponding mental state. Building a computer which mimicked the function of every single neuron of the human brain won't necessarily create a conscious computerized brain. The knowledge argument applies to artificial intelligence in a very important way. Because basically what they're saying is even if we create, if we perfectly recreate everything about a person a person's consciousness it won't really be that person's consciousness it won't be mm-hmm. a person's consciousness it won't even really be a consciousness correct we cannot replicate human consciousness even if we recreated someone's brain neuron by neuron even if we physically created an actual working brain not a computer but a physical brain neuron by neuron it's not going to be that person's consciousness it simply totally like won't be through the the knowledge totally agree the knowledge argument um which in ai is very very important because it makes the idea of complex artificial intelligence much less scary yeah and much less dystopian yeah and i think even though this was proposed like almost 40 years ago Mm -hmm. the most important application of this is now yeah because so many people are very scared of artificial intelligence what are we going to do when computers are smarter than us? Please, they already are. Yeah. What are we going to do when when computers become sentient and they become mm-hmm. self-reflective and they can overtake us? Well, if you if you subscribe to the knowledge experiment in any way, shape, or form, or I'm sorry, the knowledge argument in any way, shape, or form, which I in, in the Mary's room situation, I don't agree with it 100. Yeah. percent I mostly agree with it, but I think if you agree with it at all, then that has very important implications. Yeah, definitely for. Artificial AI, intelligence. Yeah. Uh, Just yeah, by people thinking about this, like thinking about this and discussing it, promotes innovation, technological innovation. Mm-hmm. That isn't going to happen if there's a ton of societal fear and mm-hmm. pressure to stay away from certain things. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that. Which I don't think was his uh, intended <laughs> intended use for this, but no. I think if it's an important question. Fits. How many total like annoying catchphrases can i use in a given episode i'm on a roll tonight <laughs> let's rock and roll yes let's rock and let's roll they just let anyone in here i'm looking for like the dad ones <laughs> yeah we gotta love good dad ones but no i mean i would i would i mean if it's i'll, I'll chime in here um, please do because that's pretty much all i have yeah i would just say that i think ai has never personally scared me because of that exact principle and i don't know if i guess i guess i didn't know the exact words for it Mm -hmm. this is kind Mm -hmm. of putting a term behind how my brain thought Mm -hmm. but yeah for me it was always like there's no the reason ai isn't scary is that it can't account for the human consciousness Mm -hmm. and the human the fundamental human quality of nuance yes exactly exactly that's something for me like when I was trying and wrestling with like what makes a human human, mm-hmm. I think that idea of nuance and some people might use free will or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Emotion, it, yeah. that kind of thing. To me, it's nuance. It's mm-hmm. the ability for us to be different and not be predictable. Mm, yeah, yeah. And maybe that maybe that is predictable that we won't be predictable, but I whatever. Yeah, that to yeah. me, that to me is what has never made AI scary. And right. even in this situation, that's what makes me think, again, it's it's not that we 
completely negate physicalism or the the value of science and its ability to mm-hmm. describe parts of the human experience. But there's a nuance that our concept of science will never be able to comprehend or put into words. Mm-hmm. Because and, they're, and like you they're, said, it, the, the key word there is our comprehension correct. of science. Correct. Because mm-hmm. it's, I mean, that's, that just is a, I mean, that's an oxymoron that doesn't work is like <laughs> right. human perfect nuance. Perfect human comprehension. <laughs> perfect human comprehension of human nuance. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, it's impossible and it won't work. So, um, but yeah, I think that's super interesting, that connection there and like looking at the future of our technology. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you perfectly articulated why this is interesting to me mm-hmm. is because it kind of organized my thoughts for me yeah. about AI. Yeah. Um, and let me clarify and say that artificial intelligence um, can be scary in that it can be used for sure scary purposes. Sure. We are already starting to see that in some, um, you know, the way like j- just the way that algorithms are affecting yeah. our brains and that kind of thing and the way people are getting literally addicted to social media i i think that should be a diagnosis in the dsm i mean this is a whole mm-hmm. a whole different mm-hmm. um conversation but the point is that ai itself is not scary we're not going to be overcome right by ai itself yes the people who control the ai or set up the ai may be able to manipulate it sure but we will never be able to truly account for human consciousness it will it will start it will surpass us in many ways it already has but as long as like we are the ones programming it and we have limited human experience and human consciousness and human understanding it will never be able to be this because we we can't we cannot account for it we can't explain it it is Explainable by science, but not by human science. Big, big C science. (laughs) Big C and little C science. Okay. So I was thinking today. Can we put that on a t-shirt? That's where I was going with this. No way. (laughs) Sorry. Um, What I was going to say was I was thinking today, if we were to make merch, like what would we even put on stuff? Like what are our catchphrases, you know? Like there are so many podcasts that kind of naturally come up with those. And I was like, Stay chaotic, babe. Well, there's that one, obviously. But then it's like... C for science. Big C science, little C science. I think that's freaking amazing. <laughs> if we made it some kind of like character, yeah. you know? It was like a, an adult and a baby. I'm envisioning like a beaker with a smiley face on it right now. The first thing that Scientists popped in my everywhere head... Scientists everywhere are disappointed. The first thing that popped in my head was that scene in Jurassic Park. That's a dinosaur. You know what I'm talking no. about? No. Yeah, have you never seen Jurassic Park? I have. You know, no, that? actually, I haven't seen the original one now. Oh well, then you'll never. I've seen this. like it's one of those things that I have seen it on TV like a couple times mm-hmm. where I'll start it in the middle of it, fall asleep watching it. I will. That's a very small section in the very beginning of the movie. So if you haven't really watched it, there's no way you would remember. It. But it's a little piece of DNA that like floats up, and he's like, "I'm dinosaur DNA," and then it's like it's like a it's supposed to be like a Disney ride kind of thing. That's like a video of like how they made the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park. Oh and it gosh. says dinosaur just like that. Dinosaur. I'm a dinosaur. What if we took, what if we made Steven Spielberg? I am happy to D- be a voice actor in your next production. I, okay, hear me out. DNA strands that make up the, the big C and the little C. I love it personally. Someone please design this for us. Please take artistic license. And then we can have Bo and Maisie. We need Bo and Maisie to be like branded for us. Maisie is big science. Bo is little science. It's perfect. No, I just think it's ironic because Maisie's like this perfect little pristine, innocent child that like, of course, is like big T objective truth science. And then we have Bo. 
that's like gritty and rough around the edges. And we don't know. We don't know it all yet. He's incomplete. <laughs> and I just think it's kind of ironic. It's an ironic, perfect description of our dogs. Yeah. But thanks yeah. for um, taking me down this philosophical journey today. Well, it is 10, 15, and 28 seconds. I hope this um, really calmed you down for the evening. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So I need to go straight to bed. space for sleep. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say... Um, Part of the reason that I called you a lazy perfectionist, the lazy part, we need to talk about this real quick. Because the original purpose of, originally, Lauren and I mm -hmm. always saying a different name for you guys was we were going to let you name yourselves as our listeners and our fans. And we're like, oh, these will just be placeholders. We'll just do weird, funny things. We never, no one ever gave us a name for the listeners. You're going to get stuck being people. Hey, people. We'll start doing live shows. We'll go on stage. Hello, people. people. Do you want to be people or do you want to be like chaotic fishes or like fishes? The, I mean, the chaos kids. I don't know. Like something. Are they both at spelled least. with K's or are they spelled with big C and little C? <laughs> That's up to, up to your I discretion. I couldn't your um, discretion. help myself. Discretion. So, either way. Pick, pick a better name than what Maddie has just given us. Um, and you should send that to us. But if we got to get going because these dogs are about to knock down the door. Um, yeah. So, Maddie, where can they find us? Um, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok. HyperFocusPod. Twitter. HyperFocus underscore pod. YouTube and Facebook. HyperFocus, a podcast for chaotic minds. And our Gmail, where you should send us your name suggestions. Mm-hmm hyperfocuscast at gmail.com. You can also send us love letters, fan mail, topic ideas, all that good stuff. Um, got a wonderful email today. Well, just like, Aww. just before we started, just before we started recording about uh, how we are the best people on earth and well, come on, we, we have this listener's dream job and then she gave us a topic suggestion Ooh, as well. So nice. I never want to say people's names unless they explicitly say that I can say their names, but you know who you are. So thanks. We love you too. All right, there go the dogs knocking down the door. So we will see you next time. I, I hope this was a wonderful way for you to ease into your Monday morning. Yeah, have a safe commute. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Stay chaotic, babes. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.